Thanks for listening to The Adam Carolla Show on Podcast One. Another day, another unknown. It could bring your biggest order yet or a new cyber threat. Whatever happens, Comcast Business will keep you ready with a network that can deliver gig speeds to the most businesses. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary. Well, legendary producer and Black Eyed Peas member Will I Am is going to join us, talk all about how the Super Bowl halftime show works. It's kind of fascinating. And uh, Britney Spears and Michael Jackson and growing up out here in Boyle Heights in poverty. Interesting chap and a good story. We'll get into that in a second. First, I'll tell you about J.B. Weld. J.B. Weld, world's strongest bond. Pros have trusted it for over 50 years, but why hire a pro when you can work like a pro? And it uh, they make it easy. J.B. Weld. Proud sponsor, by the way, the Adam Carolla Show. Know the owner personally. Make a great product. DIY projects, auto, crafts, plumbing, marine, and more. Use on metal, wood, plastic, glass, ceramics, and uh, keeping your kitchen drawer, your supply drawer in your garage. I use it to uh, fix Sonny's shoe. I use it to fix a piece of stonework in front of my house the uh, the other day. I, I use the, their products all the time. J.B. Weld acquired Herculiner, the original DIY truck bed liner as well. So if you're looking for the world's strongest truck bed liner, Herculiner has you covered it's J.B. Weld, right, Dawson? J.B. Weld is available at jbweld.com, Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, AutoZone, Advanced Auto Parts, Napa, O'Reilly, Amazon, Michaels, and more. Remember, J.B. Weld epoxy products are proudly made in the USA. J.B. Weld, world's strongest bond. It's hard to be cool stuff and loose. Adam's monthly nut. Adam's monthly nut. You heard Dick, a new nut. Has arrived. July's not has for you. Two ACS koozies to keep that thin can of seltzer cold in the ball melting summer heat. Brother Artisan's CBD oil to keep you chill in the ball melting summer heat. The hangover secret. A hangover cure to make sure that after a night of heavy drinking, you don't die the next day in the ball melting summer heat. And of course, a bottle of your choosing. Head to CorollaDrinks.com to sign up for one month or to keep the shipments coming. Prep your mails box for Adam's Monthly Nut. Will I Am is here, producer, um, artist, inventor, raconteur, uh, member of the Black Eyed Peas, or founding member of the Black Eyed Peas, and uh, into a lot of into cars, design, technology, watches. Good to see you again. Oh, it's good to see you too, buddy. Um, so a couple things I was, uh, reading up about you and you're from Boyle Heights, which Mm -hmm. is uh, probably about eh, 10 miles from where we are right now. Kind of a weird part of town. I don't know if it's dicey. It's just a weird kind of unesthetically, not aesthetically attractive part of town, I guess I I would say, but I don't know. What was that experience like growing up in Boyle Heights? Uh, Boyle Heights was, um. It's been through a lot of changes, right? In the 40s, it was a Jewish neighborhood, 50s, well, early 1900s, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Cantors, the original Cantors, that was that's on Fairfax's from Boyle Heights, when B- Cesar Chavez was called Brooklyn Boulevard. Uh, people like Lear Cohen, um, one of the head, head cats that used to be at Def Jam, his family's from Boyle Heights. Boyle Heights was uh was and always is like, you know, a melting pot, a cultural uh stew. Um and then in the end of 60s, 70s it turned into a Mexican black neighborhood. And when I was growing up in the 80s, um it was predominantly Mexican, some blacks. And uh it was beautiful. It may not be like, you know, it doesn't look the part, but as far as the culture and the and the art and the passion and the uh, the folks that are brewing in it, there's a lot of love, a lot of character, a lot of folks that come from Mexico that love America. Um, all the homes, the nannies of L.A. are from Boyle Heights. Mm, yeah. So you grew up there. Um Single mom, grew up in the projects or a project. Yeah, projects. There. And you got it. You were bussed out. 
to where to go to uh, like junior high and high school? Yes, yeah, go to a magnet I, school. Yeah, ever since I was seven years old, I bust out to Brentwood Science Magnet. Then I went to Paul Rivera Junior High School. Then I went to Palisades High School, and I got out to see what what wealth is. When mm-hmm. you're from the hood, you don't know what poor is because everyone around you is poor, you know. Um, but then when you go out and you you meet people like Brad and Brent. And Sharona, and you see their houses, you're like, yo, how you get a house like this? Yeah. You know, especially like Persian families. Like, wow, where's Persia? (laughs) Oh, it's Iran. Like, oh, wow. Like, how long have you been in this country? Oh, uh, I came here after the war. Like, oh, war. Like, you, 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 you normally just see that on TV, but never do you meet someone that are that have left that fled a country that was in the middle of civil war and then their families come to america and boom they got a big old house like what do you do how hard do you have to work to come from a war-torn country arrive in america and make it because the people that are living in inner cities they don't have it's a different hustle and so going to schools like like that I went to I get to, I got to learn about folks that come from nothing and make like literally war torn bombs come to America with their family and their kids and boom they're making it yeah i think for me coming from a poor family and growing up around poor people the biggest eye opener i had when i hung out with rich people <laughs> Because I used to teach boxing, and of my students, they were rich guys, you know. Yeah. And and the biggest, most helpful thing about being exposed to them, it, it wasn't stock tips or anything like that. It was just like, oh, we're not that different. Exactly. You, you just, you just, you have a different mindset. Where I come from, everyone's just kind of in survival mode. You know, exactly. you, you get a job, your job sucks, then you die. You know, that's it. <laughs> or you know, or you can get drunk on the weekends. You punch the clock. Your boss is an asshole. It was all – that was all it was. The, the, nobody talked about what you could be doing. They just said you had to get a job. Yeah. No one, no one ever thought about doing what you wanted to do. Yeah, and then, and then like, you know, in, in, in my neighborhood, you have – and you had and you still have this force, you know, this present threat of – from folks that you thought were there to protect. And that was always hard just to grasp, to be afraid of the people that are protecting you. Like the police, police come by, you're not doing anything wrong, but your heart beats fast. That's a very weird feeling. Right. Like why should your heart beat fast? If the people that are there to protect you just on site, and you're not doing anything. You're playing stick ball. You're playing kickball. You're playing kick the can. You know, that that's a that's that was that was a very um, strange mental conundrum. Did you always feel like you were different? I don't mean better, maybe better, but just different. Like you had thoughts that were different. You wanted to do things that were different. I mean, yeah, being the only black black dude in the Mexican area, that's pretty different. (laughs) But just I, I guess what I mean is, is like. You're into a whole bunch of different stuff. You like, you know, robotics and technology. Well, the robotics didn't come till I got older, but I was, you know, in and around computer science at Britwood Science Magnet, one of the first schools in the 80s to get Apple IIcs for kids to learn on, you know, having oceanography as a course in the third grade and physics with Mr. Lipwalk. I mean, my, my friends like... My friends named Lalo and Nasario, they weren't learning that when we were growing up. Right. Yeah. But, I, but, I, but I mean, you also had some sort of inner thing where you had a curiosity. You wanted to do – you were interested in a lot of different things. I mean, if you look at your bio, you, can, you want to design cars. You want to design clothes. Well, you want no, to design pe- watches. Pe- I mean – People in the – my, my uh, passion to want to design cars came from my neighborhood. You know, they would take – in my neighborhood, they would go steal MR2s. Yeah, and, Toyotas. And, and, right? Or they would steal Capris. Or they would, you know, take some, like, Nissan trucks and drop them. And that was always a part of the culture. They, they, they called them chop shops. It's like what Fast and Furious is based on. 
those mm-hmm. kids, were, those people are from the hood. You just forgot that now there's Fast and Furious 9, that the origins of Fast and Furious are chop shops. People right. going and chopping cars up, and a lot of the cars that they're chopping up probably were not, you know, bought. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I'm trying to give you a, a compliment. In oh, that. oh, it's all good. <laughs> Thank you. And that, look, I grew up with regular folk. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in North Hollywood. I no ho. I hung around with a bunch of regular dudes, and yeah, yeah. they're they're working construction now. Yeah. I'm not I'm not judging them. I just had stuff I wanted to do that was kind of up in my head. Where'd you go to high school? North Hollywood High. No ho. <laughs> it always makes it super easy because they go, "You grew up where?" I go, "North Hollywood." They go, "What high school?" North Hollywood. Yeah. And uh, then that was it. That was it for my education. I should have bust out somewhere. Although North Hollywood was interesting in that it had a lot of Hispanics. It had a lot of blacks that were bussed in Mm -hmm. from South Central, played on the football team. Uh, Had Jewish kids from up in the hills, up in Hebrew Heights, they called up in Studio City in the hills up there. Had this weird mixture of everything. And it was like, it all depended on what group you wanted to hang out with. But it wasn't. This it wasn't this it wasn't a Hispanic school or black school or white school or a Jewish school. It was just kind of a everything school, mm-hmm. and then everyone just kind of used it. Like the the Jewish kids, their parents were together. They come from some money, and when they were done with high school, they all went off to Stanford and Cal and everything else. Mexican kids just went off to work with their dads, working in um, you know spreading stucco on the side of a building. Uh, the poor white kids just went on the construction sites, and the black kids just went back to South Central. Yeah, and it, but it was weird that everyone was from kind of somewhere else, and it wasn't really so much the school that shaped them; it was kind of their families mm-hmm. that shaped them. That was the uh, that was a lot of the lesson I got from going there, but. I had ideas. I wanted to do stuff, and my my peers didn't have the same ideas. And I, I'm just going to assume that you were kind of one of those kids. You want to do a lot of different stuff. You want to get into music. You want to produce. Well, no, I didn't. Music wasn't the dream until I saw myself on the in the L.A. Times when I was 16. How'd that come about? Uh, Brian Austin, sorry, David Faustino had a club called uh, Ballistics in 1992. Bud Bundy. Bud Bundy. Right. He had this club on, on 836 Highland Boulevard. I think that's what it was. And there was a rap contest. And I used to join it. And then I would win it every week. And then Easy e First, Randy Jackson, who used to work at Sony Music at the time, the guy from American Idol, he offered me a record deal. Um, but I had a... I was in the dance crew, and I wanted my whole dance crew to sign a Sony. And they said, no, we just want to sign you. So I was like, I, I don't want a record deal. So Eazy-E signed us in 1992. But I wasn't trying to get a record deal. I just liked to freestyle. Mm-hmm. And the career, the aha moment was when I was on the LA Times, you know, winning all those rap contests. And it was, and, and it was Thursday nights which was a school night, and I got in trouble when my mom saw me in, in the L.A. Times. Like, what are you doing? What you doing on Thursdays? I'm like, what do you mean, Mom? At, I'm at Alan's house studying. Well, what you doing on, in L.A. Times with a microphone in your hand? <laughs> so I got, um, I got in trouble for being out on a school night consistently for the past three months every Thursday. Because you'd have to get up early and get on a bus, right? Because uh, Boyle Heights is not really close to... No, my uncle used to drop me off in Los Feliz. And then we would take the 181, the RTD, and the 181 would take us to Sunset. And then we would walk from Sunset to Highland. Oh, really? And then walk back home. You would walk back home. So wait a minute. What time would your uncle pick you up? My uncle would pick me up from the projects... And bring me to Los Feliz like around five o'clock after school, because mm-hmm. we get off of school at three. Well, how would you get to school? The yellow bus. Oh, okay, school bus. Yeah, the school bus, and then I would get home like around five, five o'clock, hour and a half. Then my uncle would take me directly to Los Feliz, like where I'll be there around six. 
to to my best friend's house, Alan Apple, who I started Black Eyed Peas with. And then we would just take the 181 bus like around 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock and go to the club. We're 16 years old. (laughs) And um, Soleil Moonfry was there. Leonardo DiCaprio was there. Brian Austin Green. I just I met all these Hollywood kids there. Mm-hmm. All these like kid actors and actresses. Uh, Jenny Lewis was there, and they all like knew Will One X. That was my rap name. Mm-hmm. Will One X, the guy from East LA that went to Palisades. <laughs> um, Angelina Jolie used to go there. It was like the the teenage spot. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized, like, hey, if these actors that I see on TV that I grew up to, Silver Spoons dude, you know, they they knew me as Will One X, and I'm from the projects. I'm like, okay, well, I, I guess I could, if they know me and I've known them, well, maybe I could really make something out of this. When did the Black Eyed Peas come about? Summer of 1995. And I always tell the story, but. I used to interview Fergie when she was on wild orchid. when she was a wild orchid. Yeah. And I even had uh somebody pull up some old footage. I don't know if you got it, Chris, from uh Loveline the T V show I did on uh, MTV. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> oh shit, buddy. <laughs> but Wild Orchid used to come on all the time. Yeah. And um they would hang out and they were like uh Fergie even hit on me at a party once, which um I wouldn't. I wouldn't have known, but it's it's verified. But I didn't know. We didn't know. We didn't know Stacy when she was in uh, Wild Orchid. Oh, really? Uh-uh. You had never seen them sing, or or didn't know of the of them? No. Uh, we met when when she left the group, and uh, much. I don't even know what year they split up, but um, yeah. So we we knew Stacy post um, Wild Orchid. And I didn't. How some, did you get introduced to her? We were backstage. We were all doing a. Uh, actually, no, that's not correct. We did a show together in Minnesota. It was Black Eyed Peas, this other group called. Um, what was Nicole's group she was in? Nicole was in a group called uh, Eden's Crush. Oh, yeah. There used to be a ton of, like, those kinds of yeah. bands, girl and then, bands. Uh, and then. Um, Wild Orchid, and and it was like some like big Kiss radio show back in two thousand and two. Yeah, one of those summer concert things where they get all the different bands. Yeah, to show up. No, no, no I'm sorry, that was two thousand. Mm-hmm. In two thousand is when I met Stacy. Two thousand one. That's what it was. <laughs> summer two thousand and one. It was like summer ball in mm-hmm. Minnesota. Right. And she, then that's when she told me backstage, like, yeah, I think I'm going to leave this group after they performed. And then our eye was like, wow, look at that girl from Eden's Crush. Taboo and Apple were like Google Gaga off of Nicole. Mm-hmm. And then we started partying together, Stacy and us. We, we would go to clubs. All of uh, Jen, Sarah and Jen's clubs, Brent Boldhouse clubs in summer of 2002. And our first time, and I, I made Fergie's demo. After she went solo, I produced and wrote her demo with her. And um, we would go out religiously every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, skip Friday, Saturday, skip Sunday, repeat. All summer 2002. Go out and perform? No, just go to clubs, club hopping. We would go to Joseph's on Monday, Las Palmas on Tuesday, skip Wednesday, Latin Lounge on Santa Monica on Thursdays, skip Friday, AD on Saturday. Were you guys in love? No, no, no. We just would go to fucking clubs like crazy. I know. It just seems like two young people. Everyone's good looking. You no, go no, to no, clubs there was, like crazy. There was, like, there, was like, like, there was six of us. Oh, okay. So there's a whole bunch of people. (laughs) It wasn't just me and Ferg. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was dope. It was a great year. And so our first show that we've ever done together, like we just like, hey, let's just vibe together. Black Eyed Peas were performing this New Year's show 
in Falls Festival in Melbourne, and which was a horrible Australian accent I just did there, and um, and we opened up for Jack Johnson, mm-hmm. and Fergie rocked with us on stage. He's like, hey, just come and rock with us, bring in the new year, and uh, let's see what the vibe's like. And the vibe was cool. Do we have that uh, clip? Max Pattis, sorry. Oh, you have the clip of that show? No, we have a clip of, uh, I don't know, I was asking for this MTV clip like an hour ago, but I don't know. Oh my damn, it? if no, you we, pulled we have... that up in mid-talk, <laughs> no. I'm like, yo, this is well, a We might be able to what? find that one. <laughs> no, this, uh, well, I have a clip of them singing, uh, see, Wild Orchid singing some for you. Oh, okay. Play that. Yeah. How, about, uh, how about a little sample of that three-part harmony? Yo, bro, your voice is the same. <laughs> Thank you. No fake Hollywood voice here. Well, this is a little acapella of our next single. That's Fergie. And it's right with the show. Ooh, talk to me. Tell me what's on your mind. Talk to me. What are you feeling inside? Talk to me. What are you thinking? No, talk to me. Tonight about love. I got to tell you, I was talking to Dr. Drew sitting next to me. Dr. Dre? Drew. Oh, sorry. Close enough. I said to him, I think if I had like two beers and somebody sat down with me and and explained to me that I never did any of that stuff, I would believe them. I really (laughs) do. It just feels like it was a totally different person, chapter, time. Do you ever have those feelings? Yeah, lots. Like somebody could sit down and explain to you, you never... I don't know. They probably couldn't talk you out of playing the halftime at the Super Bowl. But I just mean, does it just feel, I don't know, it's a bizarre, maybe it's COVID, but a weird detachment to yeah, that, that past? Uh, yeah. Um, there's moments, I would say in the, uh, not in the beginning. The beginning, I remember them all. Because it was... Uh, when you're struggling and you still have your dreams and you're, it's just nothing but, you know, it's nothing but projecting the, the, the world you want. And that I could never forget. That was like pureness, me, Apple and taboo and fear of like not getting the dream. Mm-hmm. And then you get the dream and you, Travel around the world, I will never forget those. But then it's the the mundaneness, like when it becomes routine and waking up when you don't want to wake up to get on some airplane, to land, to go to some country that you have to be there for 12 hours to do some interviews with a translator. Then you see that back. I don't remember any of that. Right. Like, <clears throat> and um, like I remember it if I tried hard, but I don't remember it. And, um, but yeah, I have those moments. Yeah. You kind of remember, I'm thinking about it. It's like, you kind of remember the climbing part of the hill cause you exert so much energy, mm. but you don't remember the part where you stand on top of it and walk around Yeah, exactly. cause there's no energy. It doesn't yeah. feel like you're pulling. And there's also not that question of, are you going to make it? Or is a boulder going to land on you? It's just this kind of this, it's almost, it's almost like you need to exert the energy to create the memory. Yeah, and then, like, it's also the climb was such a hard climb, and you enjoy the climb, and you finally get there, and then you're excited, but then there's a little bit of, like, what? That's it? Yeah. This is it? Well, you're excited, but then the schedule kicks in. Yeah. So you go, oh, this is awesome. Then someone goes, here's where you have to be and get on the airplane and here's what we're doing. And then you get you get dragged into the schedule. And then it kind of feels like you're long for the ride at a certain point. You're being pulled. Yeah. Pushed, pulled, both. You know, but at the beginning, you were just in charge of your own direction. Yeah. Because nobody cared because no one needed you to be anywhere. Exactly. It was all volitional. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's pretty, pretty spot on with the description. Yeah. And then you get to the place that you've been thinking about getting the whole time, but it doesn't feel as interesting because you're just being sort of, you, you get kind of herded a little bit. Someone mm-hmm. makes an itinerary, they tell you, here's what it is, and you just have to, you have to follow it. 
and then it started then it starts feeling like a job or it didn't really feel like a job before yeah there was a the only time that i that i could honestly say it felt like a job was uh 2011 when we the last tour we did that one as big as it was we're playing stadiums it just didn't feel and that's the, that's the sad part. It's like you you spend all this time with your high high school sweetheart. This is the metaphor. And then you get married and you have this big grandiose wedding. But the fizzle's gone. Yeah. That's what it felt like uh like you didn't want to kiss her. Mhm. Yeah, like, I I you I only get kissed it. her cuz the the priest said, now kiss the bride. But it wasn't like the kiss, like your first kiss. Well, I want to talk. I, I actually went and watched your uh, 2011 Super Bowl show, and I was looking at it from a slightly different perspective. Like, how much how much of this is you? You know, look at all the outfits. You look at all the choreography. You look at the song selection. And I thought... And then how much rehearsal? And then do you remember where you were when they when they tapped you to do it? I mean, yeah, I, that, I, that I remember one hundred percent. I flew to New Jersey to meet with the NFL commissioner to pitch the Black Eyed Peas because it was they were undecided and they oh, didn't really? wanna, they didn't want to take a risk on a pop group because they still had. Um, Timberlake? Yeah, they still had that situation that they were trying to overcome mm-hmm. um, and had a whole bunch of you know naysayers on trusting pop, let's go with the traditional rock and legacy groups. And so I, had a, I flew out, met with them, um, showed them, I DJed for them, like, yo, check us out. Look, we're going we're gonna to do like this mashup where we'll do legacy stuff because this dance tempo is able to fuse in rock and pop and hip hop and it could all be one mashup. Like I pitched them that whole entire show. The the way from starting off, I started off with Boom Boom Pow. They said, okay, we're really interested, but start off with I Got a Feeling. I was like, no, 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 we got to do that at the end. They were like, no, you got to do that at the beginning. I'm like, but we usually end with that song. So it was like, this is, this is not a show show. This is the Super Bowl. And you want to get their attention from the start. I'm like, all right, cool. We'll start off with I got a feeling in the beginning. So that was the only compromise. Everything else from the wardrobe to the light up costumes to going to Dallas and getting all the cheerleaders. Because my, my thing was I didn't want to have random people on the field. The people on the field should be a part of the show. And let's use all this light technology to make their lights glow. And so that whole entire show... I had my hands in, and we had our hands in every step of the way. And the, only, and the only thing was we wanted to have our logo on the field. And the NFL was like, we can't, ha- we can't allow any words. I was like, well, what about Rolling Stone's logo? That was lips, not words. Mm. Well, what about Prince's logo? That's a symbol, not words. Well, darn it. What about U2? U2 didn't have U2. Their sign was love. I'm like, okay, what about... Paul McCartney, he didn't have a logo. He didn't spell out Paul McCartney. The only letters that need to be on the field are NFL. But what about love? He was like, love is love. I'm like, oh, darn it. Okay, how about if we have love? And you take the stick from the L and the O from the O, and let's pretend that's a B for Black Eyed Peas. And so they were like, okay. And so I was like, okay. Well, when I say I be rocking in beats, I want everybody in the audience to surround the bee. So everybody came and surrounded the bee. And then I had a couple of dancers form an arrow so that when Slash came up on stage and I say I be rocking in beats, the arrow was pointing to Slash, also pointing to the huge bee with people surrounding it that formed the Beats logo. So every step... I like micro or help micro organize. So it's like exactly how we wanted it. Yeah. I want to, uh, I got to do a spot. I'll tease that. I want to know the whole part about how you found out you were in the running, so to speak for the halftime show, the NFL, uh, and then, you know, flying out there. Did you, did you 
do it to the commissioner? Did you do it to a board of, of people? Don't answer. I'm curious in that whole process. And I, I, I assume it's different than they normally would do it, but you can, you can tell me. First, I want to tell you guys about uh, Clavio. Ever wonder how the e-commerce brands you admire do it? It's not experience. They have the right data and the right tools. They have Clavio. Clavio's data-driven marketing automation platform is sophisticated enough to power legendary campaigns from brands you'd admire to, and simple enough and easy enough and fast enough for anyone to use. Clavio helps brands create personalized multi-channel marketing campaigns using customer data. Clavio integrates with all leading e-commerce platforms, drag and drop easy, get started with your first campaign in under an hour, and uh, it's easy to build from there with Clavio's templates. More than 65,000 brands can't get enough, including some of the brands you hear advertised on this podcast. It's Clavio. Right, Dawson? To get started with the free trial of Clavio, visit Clavio.com slash Adam. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash Adam. All right, quick break. You guys have awesome radio voices, by the way. <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> Back with more Will I Am right after this. Adam Carollas, I'm your emotional support animal, navigating our all-woke, no-joke culture, has over a thousand five-star reviews on Amazon. Here's one. Thank you, Adam Carolla, for being a voice and reason and get love the value in your postcard. I'm looking for war to reading the new book, plus I get to see Phil in the cover. Thanks, Ozzy. Pick up on your emotional support animal now. Available in all formats. For more, go to adamcarolla.com. Will I Am is in studio, and we're teasing this, the Super Bowl, because the halftime of the Super Bowl, I... I'm guessing if you're an American band or any band, but it's the biggest sort of nod of of recognition of success there probably is. I mean, for for an artist, for a band, it just means you have universal recognition and mostly love from uh, from this society. So that's a bucket list i i couldn't even imagine even dreaming of no you don't dream to, that one right but but especially us, especially when they're at that point in time they weren't really messing with pop or hip-hop right for for for, for a while so walk us through the the process <clears throat> where are you do you get a phone call you get an email Does your manager call you um it, it's 2010 in 2009, Boom Boom Pow was number one for three months, followed up by I Got a Feeling's number one by for three months. So we were like half a year number one. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a crazy run from 2009 and then 10. And, um, and then on... Uh, but if, if I go back to that 2008, I did a lot of uh, campaigning. But if you go back to that 2007, we did a huge Pepsi campaign. And if you go back to that 2005 and six, Black Eyed Peas were like, you know, all over the radio with my humps and don't lie and don't funk in my heart. But if you go back to 2003 and 2004, like where's the love? Let's get it started with the NBA. Like we had a pretty crazy run from 2003 to 2010. Like nonstop, doom, 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 and never let up. And salute to Ferg for, like, damn, she kept up. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, because Black Eyed Peas, we've been going since 1995, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, Fergie joined, and we just kept going. And for a girl in an all guy group, like, damn, she freaking kept up up bro and then so 2010 comes around and they're like hey yo you know we did AMAs Grammys we did like um, oh we we, we we did a the NFL kickoff with Earth Wind and Fire the year be- two years before and then we did an NFL kickoff in um the year after that. So we were like kind of prepping. You were you know, on the NFL radar. 
Yeah, because like, oh, wow, they're safe. They're a family group. You don't have to worry about like, like we're a safe group. Mm-hmm. And on purpose, though. Not like I, I come from the projects. Now, I'm not hood. I'm not like going to gangbang on that ass. Like, what up? I didn't get gangbanging, but we're, we're a safe group. And we're proud of that. We're proud of like, you know, the family could come see the Black Eyed Peas. Uncles, aunts, they bring their nieces and nephews. Fathers could drive to work with their daughters and have a better relationship at the time when we was, you know, when we were all over the radio. Now, I used to, um, when my daughter, who's 15 now, was real young, we'd have a lot of dance parties. Uh, just me and her, I just put on the black eyed peas and we just dance and get stupid. And yeah, that, like it, it, that, and we, that was a, and to get to that level, that's, that's a gift. You don't, you got to cherish that because that's very rare that parents could bond with their kids and, and try to, try to accomplish that. That's like a hard thing to accomplish. And a lot of people think like coming from, you know, backpack rapper freestyle, get signed to Easy E. A lot of times, like coming up, people would say, oh, the Black Eyed Peas, you guys are pop. Pop is hard. Like, it's a hard genre to crack. It's not easy. If it was easy, a lot of people would freaking reach that level. Yes, there's some cheesy shit in pop. There's a lot of cheesy whack shit. But it's a hard thing to crack. It's hard. Seriously, like, I don't, I produce for you too. I produce for, you know, you know, all my favorite hip hop groups that I've, a lot of, some of my favorite hip hop groups growing up, there's hip hop groups that I never got a chance to work with that I just love. But that pop arm, that's really hard. And so getting on the NFL's radar, that safe, that family, that was like, it worked. So you you find out that maybe you're in the you're in the running for the halftime show. Do you, do you know what the other groups are, the other talent or performers are who may be in the running for the halftime show? Yeah. So the difference between the halftime show now versus the halftime show then was you got paid to play the halftime show then. 2011. Yeah. Here, even though you got paid something, you still didn't have to pay. To play the halftime show, so now you pay to play the halftime show. Oh, you do? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You know something? No, I just that's just the thing, right? You pay to play the halftime show. <clears throat> Interesting. And um, and at the time when we were doing the halftime show, like I said, they weren't allowing top forty groups to play. That was a you got to break that wall. Mm-hmm. And um, we get the call, and the people that were in the running was. Us, Bon Jovi, and so we're like, oh, we ain't getting it. That's that's gonna be Bon Jovi. Mm-hmm. Like, it's Bon Jovi. Is it just you and Bon Jovi that, that so far? Uh, there was some other ones, but I didn't really, I didn't really remember the other ones just because Wild Orchid. <laughs> no, no. Uh, be- just because Bon Jovi is just a a big name. Yeah. I get it. You know what I'm saying? And they got they got hits. Yep. And then we realized, like, I got a feeling it's a hit. Like, once once you... I remember Prince came up to me one day, and he's like, we did a show in Minnesota. He came backstage, and he was like, congratulations, you have yours. I'm like, I have? We have mine. He was like, we all have... We all get... What do you what do you say specifically? Some of us get lucky to channel that one in, and some of us have multiple ones, but it's very rare to get your one. Your hit. It's it's a different type of hit. Yeah, yeah. It's like everyone knows it. It's always kind of that. Well, everyone knew I got a feel. I mean, uh, I uh, everyone knew where's the love, and let's get started. It's a different level of hit, though. Like 1999 is different than Little Red Corvette. Right. Thriller is different. And I'm not, I know I'm not being blasphemous. I'm not saying that I got a feeling is equivalent to Thriller. I'm just saying that every artist, at if they try hard enough, 
We'll get there. Celebrate good time. Come on. Dun, 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 dun. Woohoo. Hey, there's, there's these elements that are like, damn. Katy Perry got her. She has a whole bunch of hits, but that Roar record is pretty special. Christina Aguilera, like, that beautiful record that's pretty special. And then there's uh, groups that have, like, good songs. Like, freaking uh, uh, Journey. Don't stop believing. The fuck out of here, bro. Do you know how hard it is to fucking write songs like that? Like, that's a fucking... And, and at sometimes, like, just like you never dream about playing the Grammys or playing the Super Bowl. It's like you hear these staples. And you're like, what were they thinking of when they wrote that? And yeah. I don't know if they knew it at the time. Whenever you interview these guys, they always say they wrote it on a cocktail napkin while they were drunk on an airplane or something. For me, I got a feeling it was like a 30-second song. It was New Year's 2008 turned 2009. And they were rushing me to leave. Like, come on, we're going to miss the party. We were going to go see DJ AM, rest in peace, DJ at the Western no, sorry, the Wiltern on on, uh, on Wilshire. Wilshire. Yeah, that's why it's called the Wiltern. And I was driving. Uh, uh, they were like, rush me. Hurry up. Where are we going to miss it? I was like, wait, 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 wait. Let me just get this one out. And I played the beat. And I'm like. And then. Then the, I started mouthing uh, the mumble. I translated the, the mumble on the spot. And I still have the recording of the mumble to the mouthing to the dum, 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 right that whole thing. And then I remember like coming back the next day, like, do I know this song? Does this song exist or do I? Is this pre-ja vu? Is it, am I gonna know this song? Like deja vu is like deja vu. Hey, this happened before, but pre-ja vu is like this is gonna happen. And. And uh, yeah, that and when when Prince was like, "You got yours, you you got yours." You remember what you were? Remember where you were the moment that song entered, so you could call it again. You, if you could remember what it what you were feeling the moment it entered, you'll be able to call it. Because I don't remember what I was what we were thinking when we did "Where's the Love." I can't remember that, but I could articulate exactly what was happening. For I got a feeling. Oh, interesting. So it's like <clears throat> he was talking about getting to the place or to the space where you could let that enter you or permeate you or come out of you versus uh, a space. I mean, it's probably not going to happen if you're arguing with somebody and maybe it's not going to happen if you're w- sitting around watching TV. Like he, he was talking about getting to some posture some place somewhere mentally where you could access that stuff yeah these type of songs are like uh you channel them the moment somebody's like yeah man you know a lot of the special sauce is like channeling it's it's coming through you and uh and then there's some songs where you like you rack you rack your head up against the wall trying to crack the code and all these different versions and usually those ones are you know, the the audience knows the ones that are effortless and the ones that came. Yeah. Well, I always would say to people, because I've been around a lot of people and done a lot of writing, and a lot of people go, I have this idea for this sketch or this movie or this comedy or something, and then they go, every time I sit down and t- try to write it, I can't, nothing comes out. And I'm like, then it's not a good idea. Exactly. Because yeah. if it's a good idea, you can't write fast enough. If you really get on to a good – it could be – it could be a song, could be a movie, it, it could be anything, a novel. Like when you, when the idea is really strong, the floodgates open and you cannot keep up with it. If you find yourself keep tr- keeping trying to write the same joke or the right sitcom or the something, you just keep trying to do the same thing and it's not happening. It's usually, you just got to let it go. It's usually a bad idea. Yeah, it's like constipation. <clears throat> That's right. You know, like sometimes it's cool to just take a laxative. It ain't anything wrong with that. So, getting <laughs> back, getting yeah. back to the NFL, you know, you know, it's between you and Bon Jovi, mm-hmm. maybe another band, and 
you schedule as, as essentially a pitch session with the NFL? Yeah. As a, oh, they also had me do like some remixes to the NFL catalog. There's like this NFL library of music. Like you remember like in the 80s, 70s and the 80s there was like this Dun, 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 dun. That's dun, Monday Night dun, Football. Dun, yeah. yeah, it's the greatest dun, stuff. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, it's the greatest. It's some of the greatest scores ever. Exactly. The stuff from the 60s and the 70s. So, so they, they, they gave me all these these things. They're like, yeah, we want to do NFL remixes. So I, so I, I don't know who, but that was my entry to the NFL world. Mm-hmm. Was somebody wanted to remix that stuff. And I had their, I had that person at, NFL at the time, and I apologize for not remembering their number. And so when I found out that Black Eyed Peas were, you know, one of the runner-ups, I called them and said, hey, we really would like to do the show. Everybody would like to do the show, but I got an idea. Can I fly up to New Jersey um, and meet with you again to to show you my idea? Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got the meeting with NFL. How long after you did the pitch meeting did they tell you you had the job? Oh, like like uh, a couple of days after that, which had to be the greatest thing ever. But also, <laughs> I mean, I I kind of know it a little bit from when uh, Jimmy Kimmel was asked to host the Oscars. You know, first it's like thrilling, and then the next thought is is oh my god, we have so much work to do. Like this is intimidating to some degree. It's thrilling, but also you realize the task at hand. Is is so much. I mean, once once you get the nod. Well, we've been on tour. We've we've been on. We were on tour from from two thousand and three, the quartet at the trio. We've been on tour since nineteen ninety eight, and we played big big shows before World Cups. Um, you know, Australian rugby footy, Australian footy shows. That was a horrible Australian accent again. Um, and so we were used to large crowds. The mm-hmm. only difference between those crowds and the American crowd is that we're American mm-hmm. and this is our home and you don't want to mess up. And then you realize that no matter if you were good or yeah, at that level, mm-hmm. you can never be good because they're going to, they're going to they're gonna point out anything. Yeah. 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 No, it's 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 kind of a suicide mission in that it's it's like the greatest thrill in your band's career, but on the other hand, everyone is it's it's impossible. But in a weird way it is like hosting the Oscars mm. in that everyone's the next day it's oh it was horrible or half half the people love it, the other <laughs> people hate it. Yeah. It's 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 an unwinnable proposition. You really just again, you do it. It's almost like hosting the Oscars. You just do it because it's it's an amazing thrill to do it, and you join some elite fraternity of just a handful of humans on the planet who have done it. But it's never it's it's never just universal praise the next day. There's always the haters. Yeah, and um, then we came down from the scoreboard, and uh, it was the first time there was a big show like that at the. Uh, at Dallas Stadium. So that was like, it was a lot of things that happened that, that day. And because I've, you know, done commercials with Pepsi and uh, other brands during Super Bowls, a friend of mine, Mark Benioff, just launched um, a new product from his company, Salesforce, called Chatter. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, to top it up, to add another task to... Um, to our Super Bowl performance, I said, hey, Mark, you should do a Super Bowl commercial. He was like, well, they don't have, they don't have any more uh, spots. I was like, yeah, they do. A lot of brands just sit on and park on spots. Same thing happened last year when I did my Pepsi spot. Um, he was like, you did a Pepsi spot last year? I was like, yeah, check it out. Pepsi did one, it was 2000, sorry, two years ago, this Pepsi spot. We did uh, a remix of Bob Dylan's song, Forever Young, and it was me and Bob Dylan on we, – we sampled Forever Young and, and uh, Bob Dylan footage for this, like, revolution, revolutionary um, campaign um, post Yes We Can. 
and I knew that you could you could you could get a, a last minute spot. Mm-hmm. So I called up Fox because that year the Super Bowl was on Fox, and I'm like, "Hey, this is where I am. I'm playing on the Super Bowl this year. I want to know if you have any spots available." They're like, "No, we we we've sold out of spots." I was like, "Well, what about the book into our show? We create a new ad unit." <laughs> so. If we're playing 12 minutes, why don't you add 30 seconds to each one of the bookend of our show and sell that ad unit and then put us in those ads right before we perform wearing the same clothes that we're about to come out on. And so that ad, that happened. So while we were on tour in Brazil, we were editing the commercial, rehearsing for the Supo. And then before the Super Bowl came on, you had the Bridgestone advertisement and then boom, the Salesforce chatter commercial. We get interviewed, step off the interview, head on stage, come down from the scoreboard. So all these things, there's wow. so many layers that that, um, that happened as a performer, as an entrepreneur and a creator that that, that was the reason why I, I love the Super Bowl. It just showed the level of work you can do the collab the cross collaboration the cross disciplinary you know the cross disciplinary collaboration that could happen when you like really put every give it all you got I know you've uh, worked with Britney Spears I think I've read that uh, you sent out maybe some tweets of support or maybe you reached out to her uh any Britney Spears thoughts Britney Spears is one of the nicest kindest sweetest people that I've ever worked with. And when I worked with her, I didn't re I didn't realize she had a conservative, what's it called? A conservatorship. conservatorship. She had a conservatorship while we were working because in my head, why would she need one? She was perfectly fine. Like collaborating up on time, totally lucid. Yeah. Diva or out of it or anything. A hundred percent. 100% alert in the studio. And we worked for a couple years. You know, we worked on Scream and Shout together. We worked on Big Fat Bass first, then Scream and Shout. Then I worked on Femme Fatale. We shot music videos. And every time I worked with her or meet up, like, I'll show you, bro, look. Beautiful. She was like, yeah, you know, I write a lot of people that I work with. They always write everything, and I really want to write a lot on this Femme Fatale record. I'm like, okay, let's try a different process. Why don't I interview you, and then we turn your interview into songs? And if I go to my phone, because this is the phone that I used when I was working with Britney back in 2013. These were the notes. And it kind of is like... Damn, it breaks my heart because I'm like, yo, she was alert, beautiful, strong, excited, creative, on. So why does a person that is rocking at that level, need, why can't she make her own decisions? So one of the notes were March 19th, 2013. We were talking about a getaway or the escape to my dream, fantastic getaway. She wants to soak it up and bask in the wonder of it. So I'm, I'm like, so what's on your mind right now? So she was like, I want to get away to the escape. So I was like, oh, that sounds like I love that. I love that to the escape. So and I was like, OK, so next one, what else is on your mind? Then we order food and we eat. Um. Oh, and then she says that I don't want to bring the love to my life to see what I love. You're reading from your phone right I'm, now. I'm reading from my phone right now, right? To a tropical beach with champagnes and mimosa. Like, so I'm getting details. So as she says that, I'm like, okay, and what would you want to do if you went to this getaway escape? So she'd be like, yeah, I want to bring the love to my life to see the things that I love. Okay, and what would you do? She was like, oh, it would be like a tropical beach with champagne and mimosas. And so the reason why you want to go in those details is when you're writing and you're transcribing these notes, you want to be like, you know, champagne, mimosas, but my, you know, to show my love, the most of the things that I want to do when I host her. Like, I'll just 
do go go in and go through the notes. So it's like her mind is now my mind as I'm writing it because she fed my mind. That's a totally different way to write. So then there's another one like cheers to us. Here's to us. She wanted to have like, she's like, I like cheers to us. Then there's this other one, the journey, trials and tribulations, staying on the dream. Even though you're discouraged by disappointment, you have the courage to keep going. I'm like, wow. Right. And so when I'm, when I was there, I had no clue up until when I read, when I saw, and when I heard her, you know, her testimony. And I'm like, wow, this is the same emotion, the same desire that was captured in 2013 when we were working. You know? Have you, did you talk to her? Did you reach out to her? No. Um, no. Uh, it's like she's probably the hardest person to get a hold of. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's, and that's probably both ways. Probably she wants it that way and maybe they want it that way. The conservatorship. Mm. Who because, you, I, I'm looking at the list of Michael Jackson, Britney Spears. We're just talking about uh, Lady Gaga, Miley Cyrus, Justin Timberlake, Rihanna, Nicki Minaj, Bieber, Kesha, Usher. I know you're not going to pick a favorite, but who amongst the, this group did you really go, wow, this person really has something going on on a on like kind of next next level? Michael Jackson. Yeah. Michael Jackson. And even though I didn't work in the studio with Prince, Prince, we were like social friends. Those two cats. Where there, it was just a kind of a next level. I mean, everyone you work with is talented, but there's a kind of a next level talent. So Michael Jackson and Prince are both sons of James Brown. Mm -hmm. And I work with James Brown too. And to see, to get to know Prince, you see the James Brown and Prince. Mm-hmm. And getting to know Michael Jackson, you also see his version of James Brown and Michael Jackson. And um, but there's just a different frequency of detail, different frequency in uh, show business and uh, entertainment, like in every step of the way, how they walk into the room, how they leave the room, how they uh, what they do while they're in the room. How they address you, how they make you feel, how they give you escape, you know, and uh, it's a it's a different level, you know, it's a different level. Is it something you can feel just standing next to them? I mean, they don't have to sing or play an instrument. Do they exude it? Would you know it if they weren't playing or singing? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out, like, who. Have you been to Japan? No. So in Japan, you have, like, the folks that, uh, the the people that um, that do, like, the traffic, the traffic police. Mm-hmm. The traffic police in America are today's artists versus the traffic police in Japan. That's an art. Their gloves are always white and fit perfectly. Their suit is always not wrinkled. It's they take pride in that job. Mm-hmm. The taxi driver in Japan is like that's their job. They love it. It's not like damn this fucking job again. Right. I want to be driving no car. Like what you want to be doing, man? Shit. I, I don't know. I just don't want to be driving this car. Like in Japan, it's like they love it. It's a there's pride to it. Right. And. Michael Jackson is like, it's a different level of like, this is what I do. I practice every single, I used, I practice every single day for this. I am a master at this. Not just the dance, but just the presentation of how I walk out. Everything was like on point. There's elegance, elegance. There's um, a different a different expression of dignity with these guys. Fearless at the same time. Like, yeah. Two different schools. Yeah, but thank, thankfully you're able to work with all these people. 
some of them not here anymore, but I mean, some of the biggest, uh, obviously we don't need to get into how popular they were. I, uh, my last question as we get to the end of our hour, I know you like cars and, uh, I don't know if you like cars because you, it seems, it seems to me you like the artistry in, in cars or, or at least the expression of them versus going fast. Although you might like that as well. But, um, your first label, were you on Interscope? I was on first Ruthless and then Interscope. First first album that came out was on Interscope. Because uh, there's an Interscope Porsche that's out there. Really? Yeah, that's coming up for sale in about a month if you, uh, if you want it. It's uh, a Porsche 935 that's coming up for sale at uh, Pebble Beach in about a month. And uh, the guy who ran Interscope was a big race car guy. Who, Ted Fields? Ted Fields. And Ted Fields ran <laughs> ran that 935 Porsche all the time. Wow, that is freaking pretty plush. What is that going for? Like, is it an auction or? It's an auction. What's the auction starting off at? Um, I would say the estimate. I don't know all the history of this particular car, though I've seen this car in my run group because I run one of these cars in a vintage race, and I've seen these cars out there. I would say the estimate. It's not posted yet, so I don't know. I would say 25 to $3.5 bucks. Oh, no. That, I'm cool. Too, too, <clears throat> too rich for your blood? I'm cool on that. You could... Uh... <laughs> It'd be a good investment. Yeah, you could just. Yeah, I'm cool. I just, I just get it on. I just get the thumbnail, JPEG. All right, let me, uh, <laughs> let me hit my last spot here. LifeLock. Yes, after uh, last year, we all deserve uh, summer fun, but you got to look out for scammers, cyber criminals. They steal your identity. Uh, independently verify travel deals with the company. Watch out, given your information out there. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives every day. We put our info at risk on the Internet in an, in an instant. Cyber criminals could harm your finances and your credit. Good thing there's LifeLock. LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats like your Social Security number for sale on the dark web. If they detect your information has potentially been compromised, they will send you an alert. They're LifeLock, right, Dawson? No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can keep what's yours yours with LifeLock by Norton. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year by using promo code ADAM. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK or head to LifeLock.com. Use promo code ADAM for 25% off. Well, well, Radio voices, man. I know. I got to tell you, bro. just his. I feel like uh, we got so much more to cover. We should probably do a part two at some point because uh, I got a lot more to talk to you about. But we're at the end of our hour. Uh, should I give a plug? Where should I give a plug? Let's see. Uh, Twitter oh, oh. and Instagram. Yes. Yeah. So only plug. I don't really like plugs, but <clears throat> this one is uh, really proud of the team at my I Am Angel Foundation. Uh, 11 years ago, I started... Um, a robotics program at the ghetto that I come from in Boyle Heights. I started with 65 kids and I grew that 65 kids to 1500 kids. I sent kids to Stanford, to Dartmouth, to Brown, to Georgetown, to UCLA, to USC and all kids from my neighborhood. So they don't have to go to Brentwood to go to school to get a good education. So the, um, the Austin, um, he just resigned from, uh, LAUSD, Um, he noticed the work that we've been doing and now we're going to be taking my robotics program um, to 400 schools in LA starting in September Wow! and that's serving 12,000 kids in Los Angeles and we treat robotics as a sport and uh, you know the difference between this sport and basketball and NBA uh, football is that every kid will go pro because they have the skill set to not only fill jobs that are unfilled, but they have skill sets to create jobs of tomorrow. And tomorrow, super autonomous. Yep. You know, if you're an Uber driver right now, you're probably not an Uber driver in 2035. Right. If you're a truck delivery driver, that's not what you're doing in 2035. If you're a cashier at CVS, that's not what you're doing in 2035. So how do we prepare tomorrow for this autonomous, artificial, intelligent, robotic tomorrow? You know, especially inner city kids. 
because the people that are coding, that are building these algorithms and training this data, they're not black and brown kids. So if we're barely getting over, or barely trying to climb this, this racist, it's still here. Like, what? I can't believe we're still here. What? We're barely getting over this? Like, imagine because we don't have people of color writing these algorithms, we're going to have machinism because the machine does not have the details of the conditions of living. Especially when these, you know, police drones will be in our neighborhoods. If I panicked when I got, you know, when a police would come around, imagine if a police drones come around knowing damn well it wasn't us that was programming the algorithms. We have to understand these, like, the construct of what tomorrow is going to be like. And you have to prepare people for tomorrow. It's like a human right. Everyone should know, you know, what it takes to make the machines that we're going to be living on. The moment you don't understand what the machine is capable of or what it took to make that machine, you're going to praise that machine. And we should not have a society where you're praising a fucking machine. You should be like, that's a machine. I know what what it make of. Yes, it's doing awesome shit. Those aren't going to be fucking miracles. That's going to be people made that. And we always have to be before the machine. And, and the moment that people are relying upon the machine that don't know the construct of the machine, that's not the balanced future that we want. Well, more to get into next time uh, we do this. But do you, do you want to send someone? Is there a website? Is there some place you can send people? Yeah, go to IamAngelFoundation.org. That's IamAngelFoundation.org. <laughs> Thought I was going to go through the letters and shit. <laughs> All right, so until next time, this is Adam Crow for Will I Am saying Mahalo. Don't spend all night eating my pussy now. <laughs> Follow the Adam Carolla Show on Twitter at Adam Carolla Show. Follow us on Twitter at Adam Carolla. You can leave us a voicemail at 888-634-1744. Catch Gina Grad on the podcast Easy Listening. Pinball Brian on the podcast The Film Vault. The rest of us on The Water Cooler. Then get tickets to see the Ace Man, North Carolina, coming up next weekend. It will sell out, so get yours now at adamcarolla.com. Hey, Geico, do you own? Do you rent? Well, you do one or the other, right? You know, it's hard work out there. Owning, renting. You want to save some money? How about your bundle? Bundle your policies at Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle the homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you got so much to do already. Go to Geico.com. Get a quote. See just how much you could save at Geico. That is Geico.com today. That's Geico.com.